Luke chapter 4 is where we're at today. So we, so we made it through the genealogy last week. Amen? <laughs> made it through the genealogy. So if we can make it through that, we can make it. So we're in Luke chapter 4 today. The, the title of the sermon is Victory Over Temptation. Victory Over Temptation. You could just de- easily say victory over the devil. But victory over temptation. So let's read the text to begin with in Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Father, Lord, we just come before your throne, and we just, Father, we we come to you humbly today, Lord. God, I would just ask for your assistance, ask you to help me. By your spirit, Father, I'd ask you to help us all by your spirit to hear, to hear your word, to apply it, God, to to obey it, Lord, to build our lives upon it, Father. May we learn, may we learn how to defeat temptation through looking at the life of our Lord today, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. So, if you have your if you have your outline on the back, I have five points today. I usually try to, I usually try to you know, have three, maybe four at the most to keep it as simple as possible, but I just couldn't get away from having five. And the question I want to ask, and and that's what we'll seek to answer today, at the top of your outline is, is how can I walk in victory over temptation? And And I thought about that word, walk. That's why I use the word walk. How can I walk? Not just how can I gain, but how can I walk? That means, you know, habitually, as a lifestyle. How can I walk in victory over temptation? So that's what we'll try to answer through these five points. How can I walk in victory over temptation? I think that's I think every true Christian desires this. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you desire to live in victory over temptation. I know before I was a Christian, that was the furthest thing from my mind, right? I was just living in sin. I mean, I, th- I guess maybe I, at some point, I, maybe I understood that I was a slave to sin, but... There certainly wasn't a in my mind a, 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 a will a, or a desire to have victory over temptation, so I could please God or any of these type of things. But but I think as a true follower of Christ, right? Because we all have a new nature. We've all been born again. We all have new life in us, the life of God. So because of that, we have new affections. We have new desires. We have a new leader, right? A new Lord, new allegiance. So all of these things. I think are reasons why the the true believer is going to desire. There's at least going to be that desire starting out. 
to walk in victory over temptation. Now, I think it's real important for us to remember before we go through this passage that Jesus defeated these temptations, beloved, as a man. We've talked about that a lot. That He was the God-man. And He was made in the likeness of men. Right? He was tempted at all points, as you and I. And so He defeated... He defeated the devil, as we're going to see. He conquered the devil in the wilderness. Defeated temptation, but He did it as a man, just like you and I. Obviously, He didn't have a sin nature. But these temptations are very real. And the intensity of these temptations, we probably have no idea. Because He never gave in to sin, think about this. He endured the temptation fully. Fully. So He is our model, of course, Lord Jesus Christ. Now these temptations we're going to look at, they are unique in a sense to Jesus because you know, obviously the devil knew who he was, that he's the Son of God. So there's a uniqueness about them, but they, but they are representative of our temptations as well, if that makes sense. And so, let's see if we can answer this, guys. Let's see if we can apply this to our lives. How can I walk in victory over temptation? The first, the first thing we're going to see in verses 1 and 2 is to walk in the Spirit's power. To walk in the Spirit's power. So you have three P's, alliteration here, and that's just, just simply to try to help you to remember. Walk in the Spirit's power is the first thing. I would say this would be the foundation that would everything else would rest upon in this passage, is walking in the Spirit's power. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. It says he was full with the Holy Spirit. That word full, it just means saturated with. I love that. Saturated with. I think of a rag, you know. Maybe a, maybe a guy working out in the shop gets gasoline or oil on this rag and it's just saturated that's what it means to be full of the Spirit. Saturated. Of course, Jesus was always filled, right? He always did that which pleased the Father. And so, before we really get going, guys, I want to ask you the question and answer it, attempt to answer it. What does it mean or what does it look like practically to be filled with the Spirit? Turn to, I'm going to look at two Scriptures real quickly. I'm not going to stay there long, but it's going to help us through the rest of the message Turn to Colossians 3, verse 16, and just hold your finger there if you, if, you have a, if you have a paper Bible, right? And then turn to Ephesians 5. So hold your, hold your place in, a, in Colossians 3, verse 16. Now turn to Ephesians 5, verse 18 through 21. I'm going to read these and just offer a brief explanation real quick that I think will be helpful as we go throughout this message. We'll, we will continue to come back to this. So Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18-21, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the command. That's the imperative in the passage. What follows are the results. It says, But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, so I just want you to notice. In Ephesians 5, the command is to be filled with the Spirit. What follows is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing, making melody in your heart. Always giving thanks. Do you see the picture here? Somebody who's filled with the Spirit, you're going to be, you're going to have a song in your heart. You're going to be giving thanks. It's going to be a natural flow. Now look at Colossians 3, verse 16. Again, same author. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a different church here. Almost an exact parallel passage, but, it, but it's a different phrase here. And then I want to make the connection in Colossians 3.16. He says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What's the connection I'm making? Is the fact that Paul's writing the same thing. He's given the same command to both of these churches. But in Ephesians, he uses the word be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, he uses the word, let the, let the, let, he uses the phrase, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. What is he saying? Beloved, that being filled with the Spirit is synonymous with having, letting the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And the results. The result is it puts a song in your heart. The result is you naturally are thankful. What is this a picture of? If you take these two passages, it's a picture of communion with God. Being filled with the Spirit is having communion with God through His Word. Rich in prayer, right? Talking, with, talking directly to the Lord and allowing the Lord to talk directly to you. This intimate fellowship with Christ that needs to be a reality in our life. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not running around here, jumping over the pews, bouncing off the ground. Being filled with the Spirit is having the Word of Christ dwell within you, right? The Spirit is the author of the Word. And having that Word dwell within you and having communion with your Father. And it produces thankfulness. Somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit is going to be a thankful person. Somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit is going to have a song in their heart. You know what I love? You know what I love? I don't mean to put him on the spot, but I love it. Sometimes I'll see it on Signal. Sometimes I'll see it on Facebook. You guys have seen it in Joshua. He'll just give it a hallelujah. And I think the brother is having fellowship with the Lord. That's a picture of that to me because I do the same thing. I don't post it all the time. But you'll just be sitting there. You're just so full of Christ. You say, praise the Lord. This is what this is, guys. Okay? And so... So moving forward, this has to be a reality if we're going to defeat temptation. We need to be filled with the Spirit. The same language Jesus uses in John 15, right? Unless you abide in Me, you can do nothing. You can't produce fruit. And we'll look at more passages as we go through that are synonymous with this. So being filled with the Spirit, it's so important. And it says He was filled with the Spirit. In verse, in ver, back in Luke, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and, and look what it says, and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. When you're filled, you'll be led. Right? When you're filled with the Spirit, it's, it'll be the Spirit leading you. It'll be the Spirit leading you. Isn't it interesting that it was the Spirit, as Jesus was full of the Spirit, it was the Spirit. In other words, it was God's will. It was the Spirit that led Him to what? A rosary garden? No, to face the devil. It was the Spirit of God that led him to the wilderness. You know, beloved, I think you understand because we don't want to get confused here. God doesn't tempt us to sin. Right? Amen. God doesn't tempt us to sin. But His greatest purpose is your Christ-likeness. 
That's His greatest purpose in your life. And He will allow the devil to attack you. He will allow it. And if you doubt that, go read the book of Job. (laughs) Job was a righteous man. And God allowed for His purposes the devil literally to strip him of everything. And I think Job is a testimony to the reality of saving faith that a true child of God will endure. Saving faith will endure to the very end. Uh, You think of Peter. Right? You think of Peter. Jesus told Peter, the devil has sought permission to sift you, Peter. And that's what he did. And and, and so Jesus knew what was going to happen to Peter when Peter denied him. But we know Peter repented and Jesus said, but when you're restored, I want you to feed my sheep. And, and it's beautiful when you, when you read the epistles of Peter to know what Peter went through, to know how Peter gave in the temptation, to know how Peter was weak. And yet, now he's a bold apostle. He's a shepherd feeding the sheep of God. So God uses the devil to sanctify us, to, 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 to again, God doesn't tempt us to sin. But you've got to remember, like Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. And He will use him for His purposes in our life as well. So what, hey, what did Jesus just hear in verse 22? So two weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, when I covered verses 21 and 22, that's when He was baptized. And in verse 22, it said, The Holy Spirit descended upon Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven. You are My beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. What do we see here? Because I want to talk about two ways, two times that, the, that Satan attacks a believer in our life. I'm not saying it's the only two times, but we see it in Scripture and I've experienced it for 26 years. The first thing we see is, is that when you think of Christ and His baptism here, this is what you would call a major victory, a spiritual high, you could say. Okay, right? The Father testifying to the world that this is the Son. And then what happens very next... He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. My point is, guys, when you have a victory in your life, spiritually speaking, watch out. Watch out because the devil looms. He knows. Sometimes we're at our weakest when right after we may be at at our best. By God's grace, we let our guard down. We become prideful. Temptation comes. And then it says... In verse 2, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. The Spirit led him to the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Which really shows us another area that we see Jesus being tempted or another time. And again, I've experienced this as well. He'll attack you at your weakest point. Physically. Right, Jamie? When you're tired. When you're sick. Right? Your, your, Your defenses are down. You're weak. Don't think He doesn't know that. He's a crafty snake. That's why Paul said beware of his schemes. We need to be aware of his schemes. So think about Christ during this time. Now, now what we don't see, He was tempted the whole 40 days. Okay, Being tempted by the devil, what we see here is at the end when He's hungry, probably near death, physically speaking. Don't try this at home, guys. <laughs> this is miraculous. For Jesus to be where He was in that part of the world going with no food. Some some think He may not even have any water. But the point is, this was miraculous. But no doubt He was weaker than we can ever imagine. So just think, physically speaking, 
emotionally speaking, at his weakest point, being hot. Remember that part of the world. For 40 days, being, being tired, being hungry, physically near death in the wilderness. In Mark's Gospel, he adds, among, among, amongst wild beasts. Think about how lonely it would have been. Again, he was tempted during those 40 days. And so what we have here, we have the three temptations recorded at the end that we get to look. But, beloved, think about how weak he was. Okay, The devil's timing is precise. It's precise. He knows when you're down. He knows your gates. He knows how to sneak in. And we have to learn His schemes. And so He he knows these things, beloved. I'll say this. Also, He doesn't play fair, the devil. He kicks you when you're down. Right? When you're down, He kicks you. He's the one who tempts you to sin. Right? He tempts you to sin. Oh, oh, this would be great. Nothing wrong. And then He condemns you for it. He kicks you when you're down. He'll attack you at your weakest. So after a victory, he'll attack you, and of course that's and that's when we become prideful, right? We can become prideful. And what comes after pride? Fall. So we got to be aware. So beloved, remember as we continue, as as we as we go throughout the as we now look at the temptations, as we continue through this sermon, we have to be filled with the Spirit. That is key. We have to be filled with the Spirit. We must be letting the Word of Christ dwell within us richly. This must be a habit in our life. Bible reading is not something you just mark off your list. You need God's Word. You need it in your life. You need it to permeate your life. You need it to be in your thoughts and in your minds. You need to be thinking about it, meditating upon it, memorizing it. It's better to be in the toughest wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit than to be in a place of comfort and ease while walking in the flesh. Galatians 5.16 Really in this verse here, Paul could preach our sermon. He's making the point here. Galatians 5.16 He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's the very point I'm trying to make this whole sermon. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so none of this matters, beloved. Moving forward, we're going to look at, look at these temptations now. None of the rest matters if we're not walking in the Spirit. If we're not filled with the Spirit habitually, if we're not in the Word of God, allowing the Spirit of God to take His Word and apply it to our lives and being close to Christ, intimate with Christ, then none of it matters. You're going to fall, and you're going to fall often, and you're going to fall hard. Okay? So let's go through this now. We'll look at the three temptations in the next three points. So with that kind of being the bedrock, walk in the Spirit's power. Secondly, we see trust in God's provision in verse 3 and 4. Trust in God's provision. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Let me make this point because it's not one of our points. But it's so obvious. Along with walking in the Spirit, obviously. How does Jesus confront each temptation? With the Word of God. Amen? That's always our weapon. 
That is our weapon. That is our offensive weapon. And so I, w- I will make that point, but I just wanted to, right from the very start, because it's not one of our, our five points, but using the Word of God is an obvious one, guys. So trusting in God's provision. We have to remember who the devil is. He's a liar, right? He is the liar. He's the father of lies. He's a deceiver, which means he usually uses... I, I, I had always... I don't know if he always does. It doesn't matter, but he, he, he usually uses at least partial truth. It's not just 100% lie. There's always a little truth in there. That's what makes it deceptive. Okay? And so, so looking at this verse, he says, if you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, there's, there's some partial truth in this. Obviously, Jesus had the power to do this, right? He could turn that stone into bread. He fed thousands with just a few loaves. This is no problem for Him to do. And it's not a sin to eat bread when you're about to starve to death. That's not a sin in and of itself. I think, I think the, the temptation, the sin that he's tempted him to commit is obvious. I think the devil is trying or he's enticing Jesus to dis, distrust his father's love and provision for him. Don't trust your father. It's similar to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He, God provided the whole garden for him. But yet this this one tree was off limits. He's holding out on you, Eve. He's holding out on you, Jesus. God doesn't really care about you. Here you are in the wilderness starving. All you got to do is, if you're really the Son of God, just do this. It's Obviously, it's never good to listen to the devil. <laughs> so that would be a sin right there. And so obviously, it was God's will for Jesus to trust in His provision. And so He's holding out on you. If you're the Son of God, you shouldn't have to put up with this. You're the Son of God. Here you are starving to death. Couldn't you hear the devil? Even? I'm not trying to add to Scripture, but couldn't you hear the devil even whispering? You know, He even fed Israel when they were in the desert for 40 years. He even gave them bread. He didn't let them starve, and here you are about to starve to death. You can't trust Him. You can't trust your Father. You have a right to eat. Come on, Jesus, a little pleasure. What's wrong with a little pleasure? Christian, why are you always denying yourself? You don't have to take this Christian life so serious. Look at all these other professing Christians. They don't take it so serious. What what, what is all this denying yourself? Well, because Jesus said to. Because we want to honor Him. A little sexual sin's not going to hurt anybody, right? A little lust, nobody will even know. Just compromise a little, right? If you just compromise a little, why? Hey, just keep your mouth shut about Christ. You can avoid all the rejection of the world, all the opposition, all the persecution. You see how the devil tempts us? He can tempt us so many ways with those little whispers. But again, how did Jesus respond with the Word of God? He, he, he quoted in verse 4, He was quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. He says, Man should not live by bread alone, or live on bread alone. In Matthew's account, he, he added this as well. I don't know why Luke didn't quote the rest of it. Don't know. But for God's purposes, he didn't. But in Matthew, he says, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was Jesus' answer. 
Yeah. Israel was fed in the wilderness, right? God fed them. But then He also judged and killed many of them for their disobedience. Obedience to God was much more important to Jesus than even food. You guys remember what He said in John 4.34, what His food was? He said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. That's what Jesus said. My food, my sustenance, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Beloved, is it not amazing how the things of this world can grow, can grow dim when, when you're truly in that right place with Christ. You're in that intimate fellowship with Christ. And the things of the world, they have no appeal. Sometimes even food. And I like to eat. But there are times when my communion with Christ it's so great that I don't need food. I don't even want food. And I think that's the point of fasting, guys. The point of fasting is so we can set our minds further on Christ and on prayer and not be distracted by the world. Okay? Nothing magical and not eating. But that's the purpose of fasting. So the point is this, guys. Is Jesus enough for you? Is He enough? Does He satisfy Psalm 22, verse 26, it says, The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. The afflicted, meaning the humble. Those who are humble. Those who are contrite of heart. Those who have been redeemed. Those who are, who are, who are afflicted over their sin and are looking to Christ. It says they will eat and be satisfied. In other words, Jesus satisfies. Does Jesus satisfy you? That's the question we must be able to answer with the affirmative. Yes, Jesus satisfies. And so Jesus refused to act upon His own initiative. But He trusted in His Father, in His Father's provision, in the provision of the Holy Spirit. Obedience to God was more important to Him. But beloved, here's the point we must remember. In due time, His needs were met. His needs were met. In Matthew's, in Matthew's Gospel, at the very end of Luke, in our section in verse 13, it just says, the devil left him until an opportune time. In Matthew's, in Matthew's it, added, it, added, it adds this, that the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Isn't that beautiful? God did care for Jesus physically, and He'll do the same for you. Listen to Hebrews 1.14 talking about the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That's you. That's God's people. The angels of God, the angels of God minister to us in ways we don't even know. Paul says in Philippians 4:19, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He'll do the same for you, just like he provided for Jesus. Jesus didn't get ahead of God, he trusted God. He obeyed God and God did care for him physically. And He'll do the same for you. Beloved, has He not saved you? And has He not called you to to do His will? Right? He's called us. He's left us in this world to do the will of God. Will He not feed us? Will He not care for us? I love the way Ray Comfort said it one time. Speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, the the passage that says, seek first the kingdom of God. And, And so Ray quoted that verse. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and then all this other junk will be added to you. And he's just emphasizing the comparison. The kingdom of God is what we need to be seeking. He's going to care for our needs, guys. 
He's going to take care of you until the day He takes you home. So beloved, Jesus didn't take matters into His own hand. He didn't make food in His own power like He could have because it wasn't God's plan. He was trusting the Father to provide for Him. And so we should do the same. We should trust God. We should obey God. And I don't remember which commentator it was that I read this, but it said, it said Jesus, He didn't make food. He, he, he trusted in God and He didn't order from the devil's menu. Because <laughs> that's, that's what He would have been doing, right? Don't order from the devil's menu. What God has is so much better. If you're a single man, single woman, wait for the Lord, what He has. We can apply that to so many areas of our life and these type of things. But He waited. He waited on and trusted God. And beloved, here's the important thing. Not to do so, if He had not trusted His Father, He would have sinned. And that's the important thing going throughout this. Not only teaches us how to resist temptation, but the point is, is Jesus didn't sin. Because if He would have, He couldn't have redeemed us. He couldn't have died for our sin. So walk in, God's, walk in the Spirit's power. Trust in God's provision. Third, follow God's path. Follow God's path in verses 5-8. through eight. And He led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it, will, it shall be all yours. It shall all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Matthew says he took him up on a very high mountain. So whether they just went up on a mountain and looked at the surrounding kingdoms or whether there was some kind of vision where they could see all of the kingdoms in the world, we don't know. But what we do see is that he had tried to to, to convince Jesus to doubt God's love and provision, and he failed. So now he's going to try to get him to doubt God's plan. What did God promise Jesus in the Scriptures? Well, as far as, this, as, far as that connects it to this verse, in Psalm 2 verse 8, He says this, the Father says to the Son, Ask of Me, and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. That's the promise from the Father to the Son, which will be accomplished. But think about where Jesus is at right now. Jesus was in the wilderness, starving, hot, lonely, under temptation, tired. He would spend the next three years in His ministry being homeless, right? He didn't have, a, he didn't have somewhere to lay His head. Rejected by most. He would experience the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane the night of His arrest when He's thinking about the face of the wrath of God upon the cross, literally sweating drops of blood. He would be falsely accused, slandered, beaten beyond recognition, mocked, crucified upon a Roman cross, and eventually bearing God's wrath upon the cross. And what is the devil saying? See, that, that's God's plan. That's, that's what would really happen. And the devil's saying, worship me. You can avoid all this. This can all be yours. You can have it all right now. 
What's the partial truth in this? Well, this stuff was rightfully His. These truths are rightfully His as the King of Kings. But the devil's saying, you know what? Shortcut worship me and I'll give it to you now. Partial truth. Yes, it was rightfully His, but this is not God's path. This is not God's path. God's path was already predestined that we see in Acts 2, verse 23. This is God's path for the Son of God. When Peter preached to the Jews on the day of Pentecost, and he told him, this man, speaking of Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put Him to death. That's the path that God had already predestined for the Son. This is the way of the cross. To worship the devil obviously was not God's path. He's a liar. He wouldn't have given it to him anyway. (laughs) It's not even his authority to give in the first place. That's a partial truth. Yes, he's the ruler of this world under the authority of God Almighty. So there's so many lies and that are, when the devil speaks, even if he quotes Scripture, there's so many lies. Hence, false teaching. <clears throat> but this is the way of the cross, beloved. First for the Son of God, and then for His followers, for you and I. We need to follow God's path. You know what the devil was, was, was enticing Jesus with? Your best life now. That's exactly what he was saying. You can have your best life now if you'll just worship Me. There's no need to suffer. You don't need to worry about suffering the cross and the rejection of men. Have your best life now. You can have it all. Oh, the way of the cross is too narrow, Jesus. You can avoid all that if you'll just bow down and worship Me. You know, many in our day, they will miss eternal life because of their best life now. Because of falling for those lies. If you don't come to Jesus Christ, if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, this is your best life now. Because what comes after is eternal torment. This is the worst it gets for the Christian. Our best life comes in the future. Because He is redeemed us by His grace. And He's called us to follow Him through that narrow path. The narrow way is God's path. The narrow gate, right? you got the broad gate, the broad road, the narrow gate, the narrow road. And above each one, it says the path to heaven. The broad gate doesn't say, hey, this is the path to hell. If you want to go to hell, come this way. No. The devil has this way to heaven and it's easy. No, the narrow way leads to Christ. The narrow way leads to the Father. The broad way, you're actually worshiping the devil. Those people who are on the broad path are worshiping the devil. Now many, unknowingly, but that's who they're following. Every other way other than the narrow way is the way of idolatry. It's idolatrous. No idolater will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 10, 19 and 20 says. Just to remind us of what an idol is. What idolatry is. Anything other than worshiping the one true God falls under this. Paul says, is an idol anything? 
No, but these things that the Gentiles sacrifice to, these idols, they sacrifice actually to demons and not to God. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. You're either worshiping the true God or you're worshiping Allah who is is actually a demon. Or you're worshiping the God of the Mormons It's actually a demon. And on and on and on. If it's not the one true God or the God that people make up in their imagination, they might even call Him Jesus. But if it's not the Jesus of the Bible, it's an idol. And it's it's, it's demon inspired. No, Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Christian, we are called to suffer. You know, we have been, it says, we've been appointed to believe upon Him and to suffer for Him. That's part of the Christian life. We've been called to suffer. We, so, so don't take the shortcut. Don't take the shortcut. Don't feed off the devil's menu. Follow Christ. Live to please Him and Him only. Have an audience of one, right? Everything you do, do what? To the glory of God. Why? Because He is worthy. We're to count the cost, right? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you enter this Christian life thinking that it's just a bed of roses, somebody didn't tell you the truth. (laughs) We're to count the cost. I mean, when we sign up for this, for lack of a better word, when we surrender to Jesus Christ, we immediately are on the devil's radar. And he's got millions of demons. Probably that have been assigned to each one of us. We, we all have certain demons. They know us. They know our weakness. So we need to be... Right? We're in, we're in the Lord's army. That's not just a little kid's song. We really are. This is a battle. And so, beloved, live for Him. Live to please Him. He is worthy. And do it even if you're alone. You guys ever heard this quote by Jonathan Edwards? He said, Resolution 1, I will live for God. That's good enough right there. Resolution 2, if no one else does, I still will. Amen? That's how to build your life right there. Have that in your mind. I'm going to live for God. That's my life. He is my life. And guess what? If I have to do it alone, I'll do it alone. And praise be to God, this is God's path, and praise be to God, Jesus didn't turn from God's path. Because if He would have, He would have sinned. And the cross would not have been possible. We'd be dead in our sins with no hope of rescue. So He did not sin. The fourth point. So we see walk in God's power, trust in God's provision, follow God's path, avoid arrogant presumption. Avoid arrogant presumption, verse 9-12. through And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus had been... Jesus keeps refuting the devil with Scripture, so what does the devil decide to do? He decides to quote Scripture now. You may be thinking, I know he obeys the Scripture, so I'm going to give Scripture to him. Since he loves Scripture, I'll give Scripture to him. I'll be able to get him there. And we need to remember the devil knows Scripture. Right? He knows God's Word. He knows God's Word better than we do. 
Now he twists it, but he knows it. So obviously, this, this, when we look at this right on the surface, it's real easy, right, to see. I mean, this is an easy one to understand. He, he, he quotes Scripture, twisting it, and, 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 and Jesus corrects him with Scripture. That's what's going on here. He, he, uh, the devil quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Jesus then quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. So he refutes the devil's lie with Scripture. Again, Scripture is always our weapon, church. That's always your weapon. Ephesians 6.17, Paul, he talks about using the sword of the Spirit. And I've told you guys this before, but maybe not everybody heard. But it's real important to remember, when Paul talked about the sword of the Spirit, he was talking about the little, the little daggers that the Roman guards would use, the soldiers. And so they could pinpoint their target. It wasn't, it wasn't a big sword that they just waved in the air. And so in the same sense, applying to the spiritual life, the sword of the Spirit is not just the Word of God, but it's knowing the exact Word of God that needs to be used in the particular temptation. So you can use the exact Word, just like Jesus is doing. He responded with the exact Word to refute the devil. So Jesus is correcting Scripture with Scripture. The devil is tempting Jesus to presume upon God. What does that mean? It just means he's tempting him to arrogantly demand something from God. I'm going to jump off this and God's going to save me. <laughs> but it says also, again, but you shouldn't tempt the Lord thy God. Right? I'm going to run across I-40 and God's got to save me. Well, <laughs> don't tempt the Lord thy God. You may get ran over. But how arrogant, guys. I mean, just think about it on a practical level, personal level. How arrogant would it be for you or me to ever demand something from God? Demand it. We demand it. God, God doesn't owe us anything. Everything we get from God is grace. We don't deserve anything. So when we do get good things, it's a gift. We should never arrogantly demand things. Now, I want to, now let, me, let, me, let me correct myself. Because I'm going I'm to talk about like the prosperity gospel, word of faith, name it and claim it. Now, we can claim those promises that are in God that are true in Christ. Amen. I'm just saying, we, we, we claim things that God doesn't promise. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be demanding things, this, making this presumption. And so that's what I was going to share with you. A good illustration of this, I believe, is the prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement. They're arrogant. Think of some of the things they say. Some are not healthy. And some are not wealthy. Because why? Because of your lack of faith. And if you really wanted to demonstrate your faith, you would do it by how? You'd send your money to me. That's how you truly show your faith. Do you know Peter and Jude both talk about there's a very, very special, dark, hot place in hell for people who take advantage of God's people out of greed. That's a dangerous place to be. This positive confession. You speak these things and God has to respond, yes. You can literally speak things into existence and God has to. You know, there's many people, many many true Christians, well, two categories of people, many people who are, who are maybe on the edge of Christianity 
And they never come to it. Because this is what they're introduced to. And guess what? God doesn't deliver like, like they're told He must. And they say, forget this. You know, a lot of those Hebrew Israelites, they grew up in churches like that. Health, wealth, prosperity gospels. And they even had enough sense to say, that stuff is garbage. And now they've turned to this cult that's even worse. But there's true Christians that are taken advantage of and having their faith shipwrecked by these, by these, by these, by these false teachers. They say, if you just send me your money, then God has to do this for you. Oh, and if He didn't, it's your fault. What did Jesus say? Matthew 8.20, He said, even the animals have homes. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. And yet these men are saying, if you're truly godly, you'll be wealthy. You'll be wealthy like me, like I drive my Rolls Royce. How could we ever think, beloved, that it's always God's will to never be sick? How could we ever think that when we look at the Scriptures? When we think about the reality of sin itself in the world, that our bodies are decaying, the wages of sin is death. That's why we die. That's why our bodies wear down. Our bodies are decaying. Our bodies are temporal. They're wearing out. And sometimes a part of that is sickness. What does God say in Romans 8.28? That He uses all things together for our good to conform us to Christ. If you, want to, if you want to demand something from God that is His will, God, make me like Christ. And He will. He'll make you like Christ. But beloved, He uses hard things that we go through, including sickness for our sanctification, for our good. Again, think of Job. Should we pray for healing? Absolutely. Does God still heal? Absolutely. I've witnessed it. I've been the recipient of it. Yes, we should pray for God's healing. But we should never demand it. Jesus says, beware of covetousness. Right? Beware of greed. He says, our life doesn't consist in all these things we have. And these men are saying, it our life is all about all the stuff we have. It shows God's good favor, the wealthier you are. Lies. Lies. Oh, what did Paul say in Philippians 4, verse 12? He said, I have learned the secret of being content. Contentment with godliness is great gain, guys. He said, I have learned the secret of being content, both in prosperity. Is it a sin to prosper? No. If God prospers, you praise the Lord. And actually, we're all prosperous compared to the rest of this world. We live in prosperity, by the way. He said, but I've learned the, the secret of being content both in prosperity and in humble means. Being filled and going hungry in abundance and suffering need. And yes, he went, on, he went ahead to say a few verses down, He will supply all of your needs. Beloved, sometimes God will allow a person to be born blind. Just to show the glory of God in healing him, like we read about in John 9. Sometimes that's the purpose. Sometimes that's the purpose. Sometimes there's sickness because of direct sin. Sometimes he will give a perfectly healthy man in his mid-50s a disease like ALS. And we've seen it. 
You think we didn't pray for God to heal Rocky? Absolutely we prayed for God to heal Rocky. But it wasn't God's purpose to heal Rocky. It was God's purpose to use this ALS for His glory. Like we could never imagine. We got to see it. And it's not over yet. He's going to continue to use it. Because we have those videos. We have those memories. We're going to continue to put them out there. But the, the, the way we got to see Rocky suffer, the way he ministered to us, the gospel he preached to thousands of people. Amen. Imagine if Rocky would have demanded God to heal him and got bitter at him because he didn't. You imagine if Rocky would have done that? God wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to use him the way he did. But we did. We begged God to heal Rocky. It wasn't God's will to heal Rocky. It was God's will to use him for His glory. Beloved, that's true faith. You want to know what true faith is? True faith is, is being faithful to God when He doesn't heal like you want. We all want to be healed. We all, nobody wants to go. I hate being sick. I hate being injured. But it's trusting God through the difficult times. That is heroic faith, okay? It's not having enough faith to send your money in to a false teacher. No, beloved, we humbly submit to God. Humbly, that's the opposite of this arrogant presumption. We humbly submit to God and we don't make demands on God. Okay, we humbly submit to His will. And beloved, again, these are all teaching us how we can deal with different temptations. But the most important thing in this is that Jesus didn't do this and as a result, He didn't sin. He didn't sin. Once again, He didn't sin. And He didn't jump off the cliff and kill Himself <laughs> like the devil would have liked. No, He remained faithful to God. So we walk in the Spirit's power. We trust in God's provision. We follow God's path. We avoid arrogant presumption. And last, we be aware of future pitfalls. Be aware of future pitfalls. In verse 13, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. When the devil finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. He left him. This is very important, guys. He left him. Do you know who did the same for you? In James chapter 4, verse 7, what does it say? Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he might flee from you. He says he will. He'll flee from you. But you know what I think a lot of us miss? I was going to say a lot of people, but I've done it many times myself. You know what I think we miss in this verse? We try to resist the devil without submitting to God. That needs to be priority number one at all times. Submit to God. Beloved, when you're burdened, when you're, when you're pressured in life, when you're tempted, go to God first. Go to God before you call a brother in Christ. Hey, the body of Christ is great. We're here for one another. But I'm not God. I'm not your Holy Spirit. Part of being led by the Spirit is being sensitive to what's going on in your life and taking it to God. See, if you're walking with God regularly, it's a natural thing. You run to God. You run to Him. Submit to Him. 
Submit to God. That's humility. That's what all of this is. It's opposite of this arrogant presumption, this demanding God. No, we, we submit to Him. He demands things from us. We don't demand things from Him. We submit to Him. We resist the devil. How do we do that? With the Word of God, with prayer, through the power of the Spirit. And the devil, he will flee from you. But this is what we've got to remember, guys. In this point number five, it says he left him until an opportune time. So don't think he's not going to come back. He'll come back. He'll attack you, right? When you're weak. We've looked at that. When you're weak, when you're down, when you're sick, when you're bored. Right? Don't be idle. That's a very dangerous thing. Sit around being idle, doing nothing. He'll attack you during these times. He'll attack you after a victory, beloved, and it will never stop this side of heaven. It will never stop. It's going to continue. Like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, he's marching toward that celestial city, facing trials and dangers and toils and snares and attacks. That's the picture of the Christian life. It's never going to stop this side of heaven. You may conquer, you may conquer a certain sin, a certain area of your life, and you truly may find lasting victory. He'll find something else. And God's using all of it. He's using it to sanctify us. He's using it to to teach us to apply these principles, to teach us to put on the armor of God. Why would we ever do any of these things if we were never tempted to sin? You see, God doesn't tempt us to sin, but God is in control of this whole thing. And He's using the devil. Again, He's God's devil. He's got a leash on Him. And He'll let Him go. No, you're not going any further. He told, he told the devil, yeah, you can do this and do this and do this to Job, but you will not take his life. And so that's what happens in our life, guys. We learn these things through the Word of God. We learn them through experience. Don't ever let your guard down. Don't ever let your guard down. We follow the pattern of Christ. We use the Word of God. We're filled with the Spirit. We trust in God. We humbly submit to the will of God. We stay... We stay filled with with the Spirit. We stay close communion with Christ. Close to God in intimate fellowship. Intimate prayer. Allowing the Word of God to permeate us. Listen to Psalm 119 verse 11. Again, it goes right along. This thing could have preached the sermon. Your Word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see how simple it is? What did Paul say? Walk in the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The psalmist says, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Saying the same thing. Word, Spirit, Spirit, Word. It's all connected. It's all connected. And so, beloved, all these principles. This is not everything the Word of God has to say about dealing with temptation. But we can apply some of these principles to defeat temptation. To walk in victory in the Christian life. But in closing, I believe the most important thing about this text is what I've mentioned four or five times is that Jesus did not sin. Amen? That's our victory. Jesus did not sin. He defeated the devil in the wilderness. Why? So then He could defeat him at the cross. He would have never defeated him at the cross if He had failed in the wilderness. We would be doomed, lost, on our way to hell. But no, Jesus Christ did accomplish this. Think about this. What the first Adam 
failed to do in the Garden of Eden while on a full stomach, the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, accomplished in the wilderness starvation, suffering, and He accomplished it in our place. And then He did it all the way through His life. He was without sin. It says He would come to, He would leave until an opportune time. We know. We have a few of them recorded in Scripture where the devil continued to tempt Him. Through His own apostle, right? You're, no, Jesus, you're not going to the cross. I won't allow that to happen. Get behind me, Satan. You will not stop me from going to the cross. But beloved, He did it. He did not sin. Oh, praise be to God. This is our victory. That Jesus did not sin. And at the same time, He teaches us how we can walk in victory against temptation. Romans 5, 18 and 19. As by the one man's disobedience. Who's that? Adam. Many were made sinners. That's why we were made sinners. Because of Adam's sin. But... Through the one man's obedience, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. That's our victory. That's our victory. Christ is perfect life. So He, so he, he could go to that cross and, and truly pay our sin debt because He was the perfect, not just the Lamb of God. You know, the Old Testament talked about the, the Lamb being offered on the Day of Atonement being the spotless. The one without blemish. Go find that Lamb without blemish. Jesus was the Lamb without blemish. Dying in our place. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That's our Savior. He's been where we're at. He truly can sympathize with us. He truly does intercede for us. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if Jesus was in that room praying for you? Just think if we thought, man, He's in that room praying for us. Wouldn't you be strengthened? Well, He is. He is. He's interceding for us. In heaven right now, all at all times, the Holy Spirit's interceding for us. What comfort we have in our God. So beloved, draw near to Him when tempted. Draw near to Him when tempted. Draw near to Him when struggling. Draw near to Him when you're lonely. Draw near to Him when things get hard. When things get hard, He's always there. Let's pray. Father, we come before You, Lord, and we're so grateful for our Savior, God. First and foremost, that He did not sin. That the One who knew no sin, You made Him to be sin on our behalf for our sake on the cross so that we could become the righteousness of God in You. And so, Father, we thank You for His death, yes, but we also thank You for His life. Thank You for teaching us in Your Word, God, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, through the, through the living and abiding Word, Christ in us, Your Word in us, that we can, we can defeat temptation in our life. We can walk victoriously. And even when we don't, we have the promise that if we confess our sins, that You are faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Son and for Your Spirit. 
and for Your Word. And we ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.